Don't you feel sorry for the young people this morning? Don't you? Don't you young people feel sorry for you this morning? No kids care. Oh man. Oh, I've got to listen to that turkey preach. <laughs> listen, it's my first Sunday, okay? Like my first sermon since being at Montmorency Community Church. So, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll come up with a deal. You guys are always getting marked by the teacher, aren't you? So, I'm giving you all permission to mark me this morning. Now, rest assured, Mum and Dad will be too, but um, you, get to mark, you can come up after the meeting. We got any, Oh, no, we're not doing chocolate this morning because that's... <laughs> It's Resurrection Sunday. I'm not doing chocolate. <laughs> that was last week. <laughs> so, I tell you what, give me a mark out of ten, okay? Come up after the meeting. You'll need to pay attention. you need to check me out on whether what I'm saying you reckon is true or accurate and, and also whether you felt God speaking to your heart a little bit too, okay? So, Give me a mark out of ten. Let me know if, you, if you're still here when we finish. <laughs> and uh, we'll see how, how, how it compares to what mum and dad might mark me. Hey? Look, if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. It's a wonderful day. It's a, it is a great day of celebration. And, and I have to make a special mention to a colleague of mine. We started in, in training at the same time. He's a Salvation Army officer and he's serving over in the Caribbean at the moment, as you do. (laughs) And he said, we'll be back in Australia and I'm coming to Monty. And so, I want to be able to say to the folks at Monty, I'm the bloke that David said hi to on Easter Sunday. Guess what? He's preaching today too at another Monty. Would you believe that? You know, we started, I trained in Melbourne, he, he trained in Sydney, we were both in the same training session, the Followers of Jesus was the global name for the training session that year and um, he's at, uh, slightly different to Montmorency, he's at Mont- Montego Bay. <laughs> but can I say with all honesty, I'd rather be at Montmorency this morning, so suck that Bruce. <laughs> Oh dear. Forsaken, yet exalted. That's the title this morning. Forsaken, yet exalted. A week ago, um, back in the day, a couple of thousand years ago, it was Palm Sunday as it's come to be known. The king comes to his royal city and they plot his assassination. The great high priest comes to his holy temple and they declare him a blasphemer. Would you like to turn your Bibles to Matthew 27? I'm not sure whether we use scriptures overhead or anything, Steve. I haven't had a chance to prep anything with you. Mate, we had... uh, real tech hijinks this morning. Every now and then, I don't know whether you've noticed it, but every now and then it seems like 
anti-Christian gremlins get into the system and make life miserable for almost no reason for those of us who are preparing worship. And I guess today being the day we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, we should be half expecting a bit of mischief. But uh, thank you, man. You, you battled through and, and Jude and Chris got us going almost against no odds. Can you imagine a computer you switch on and all of a sudden all the passwords are gone? They're all different, apart from anything else. Matthew 27, verse 33, we're reading to 46. Oh, I better turn to it, I guess. And I don't know whether you give out page numbers and stuff to church Bibles. You're all in there. That's cool. Matthew kicks off the New Testament. It's one of four portraits of Jesus, the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You, you young people would know that. And um, Matthew 27. And my Bibles are still lost in the packing somewhere. I've been using my iPad since I got here, so I'm using one of our Bibles here this morning. Verse 33, under the title of the Crucifixion. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As a young boy growing up in, in the church that I grew up, grew, grew up in, <laughs> grew up in, there was, there was a Mr. Mr. Dimmick. He was a, he was a great man, great man of, of God. <clears throat> he used to pray the best communion prayer, you know. He would take us right through the story in the prayer and, and as a young, young boy I always remember he'd get to that bit and he'd, he'd, he'd say in his prayer, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And you know, to this day, I can't hear that statement any other way. You go to some other places and somebody will say, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Sounds like Italian, you know. Doesn't sound biblical at all. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Yeah, I think Brother Dimmick had it right. I think he had it right. But it's very powerful words. And, and it's um, about the only kind of Greek I know. 
apart from a few things that get me into trouble because of my Greek grandfather, but very powerful words. What do you reckon he was saying? It's there in the verse, Lucy. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Yeah, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Famous last words for people being executed. Do you remember what um, Ned Kelly said when he was about to be hung? Such is life. Hey, what about what about William Wallace in the movie Braveheart? Do you remember the, the, as he was about to be executed? It was a fairly good execution too, in terms of how they went about it. He was freedom. Freedom. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, freedom. Famous last words for people being executed. Well, Luke, the Gospel of Luke has Jesus saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. John says in the Gospel of John, it is finished. Both Matthew and Mark have, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you've got an NIV, and all Bibles have things, but if you look down the bottom of the page, you'll find there's a couple of things, little notes in the bottom of the page referring, there's little letters, sometimes it's all a bit hard to figure well, what's all that stuff there for and it mentions Psalm 22 and I wonder as Jesus' life ebbed away whether Psalm 22 was on his heart was it on his lips let's go to Psalm 22 This psalm was written a long time ago by David, the great king, the shepherd, the warrior boy who defeated Goliath, the giant. Psalm 22. It says here, for the director of music, to the tune of the doe of the morning, a psalm of David. I wonder, is that like um, uh, as the deer, you know? I wonder if they sang a tune like As the Deer. This, this tune was Doe of the Morning. And as, as we know, those of us who have kind of studied these things, David, King David, was an ancestor of Jesus, wasn't he? Do you remember that? So it's fortuitous, in a sense, this psalm. Let's, let's read it, a bit of it. Psalm 22 from verse 1. Oh, there's some words that we've just read. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes there are echoes. Sometimes if, if you look at some of those little scratchings in the bottom of the pages of your Bibles and stuff, you might find a bit of a bigger picture. Sometimes uh, uh, people, when they're quoting in the New Testament, words from what was their, Hebrew, their Bible, the only Bible, the Hebrew Bible at the time, which we call our Old Testament, um, is there more to the story? Is there more to what's being said? Look behind, look to the context of the words that were said in the New Testament. Here, in Psalm 22, we have exactly those words that Jesus cried out from the cross. Verse 1, My God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? This was written by his great-great-great-grandfather plus to the times ten, whatever. Why are you so far from saving me? What more might Jesus be wanting to say when referring perhaps to these verses? So far from my words of my groaning. Verse 2, O oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by, by night and, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned on, as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. How long before Jesus said these words was this written? Wow. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast from birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Wow, didn't we just read that in that Matthew Gospel? Thousands of years, maybe. A couple of thousand years. How long ago was David on earth? Here's a question. Before Jesus came. Be a few years. Before crucifixion was even invented. Before the Romans came up with one of the most devilish ways of putting somebody to death. You know, you're you're effectively hung on a cross in such a way that your ribs stuck into your lungs and you actually died of of suffocation in, in a sense because you you had to push up against your nail, nailed feet to grab a breath, which was incredibly painful. Then you drop down against your hands, which were nailed, and then you push up. And that's why they took all day to die. And that's why, in the biblical account, at sunset, they broke the legs of the, 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 the thieves so they couldn't push up anymore and they just died. They couldn't grab a breath. But they saw that Jesus was dead already, so they didn't break his legs. There's a prophecy in Old Testament saying that not a bone of his body would be broken. So not only did, does this psalm even refer to a manner of crucifixion that hadn't yet been invented, but it also, also picked up on, on an exception to the rule. His, he was ridiculed, it says, in verse 6 and 8. His hands and his feet, feet were pierced, it says in verse 16. Verse 14, his body was broken by the experience of being hung on the cross. That is, that all of his bones were pulled out of joint, but none of his bones were broken. He was poured out, his strength was gone, his heart was giving out, his mouth was parched. Remember they went and tried to feed him with a sponge, give him something to drink? In verse 18, they divided his garments and cast lots for his clothing. 
which John 19 picks up on. Very, very interesting, but most significantly, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was a moment Jesus had never experienced before. The eternal son, his father's delight, being with God the Father as God the Son from before time. And here he is experiencing for the first time a, a breaking of, of, of fellowship with God. He recognised that, that God was even turning his back on him. While he was on earth, he lived the perfect life. He was perfectly in tune with the will of his own divine heavenly father, yet he turns his back on him. Charles Spurgeon in his book, The Treasury of David, says of Psalm 22 this, Psalm 22 is beyond all others the psalm of the cross. It may have been actually repeated by our Lord when hanging on the tree. It would be too bold to say so, but even a casual observer may see that it might have been. For plaintive expressions uprising from unutterable depths of woe, says Spurgeon, we may say of this psalm, there is none like it. I wonder if those crowding around the cross, those of, of, of Judaism, those Hebrews, the teachers of the law, I wonder, did anybody pick up on what was going on, what was being played out here? When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did anybody go, oh, Psalm 22 and the rest of the story, there it's laid out, his feet and his hands were pierced, his, his bones were out of joint. He, you know, there's, there's it being told by David in their hymn book to the tune of Doe of the Morning. If anybody did, I wonder if they thought about the rest of the psalm. I wonder if, I wonder if it maybe not even disturbed their spirit a little because like so many other psalms, you look at a lot of the psalms, you go through their hymn book and it finishes on and up. It doesn't matter how lonely somebody is or how sad they are or how they're shaking their fist at God through the psalms. They usually finish often, more often than not, on praise to God. And same here, there's a sting in the tail of this psalm, a fairly significant sting. Read verse 19, my note says here. <laughs> verse 19 and 21 of Psalm 22. And here's the tipping point in this psalm. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, a capital S. In verse 15 he says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. And in verse 19, he says, Oh, my capital S strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And once again, if you bounce down to the bottom of the page, if you happen to have the NIV there, you might see that it's saying, or when he says, save me from the horns of the wild oxen, or you have heard. There's a sense here, apparently, in the Hebrew that suggests that 
God heard and answered. When, when, when the psalmist is saying, save me, it's in the sense that he has already heard and, and has responded to it. Now let's keep reading on. Verse 22. I will declare, so the tipping point, and listen to how this psalm starts to head. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfil my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Psalm 22, was it in the heart of the Lord as he hung on that cross? Verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever, forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn for he has done it. When Jesus cried the opening words of Psalm 22 declaring his desolation, was he also declaring his exaltation? Verse 24, for he was not despised or disdained Some render, some translations render he with a capital he. You know, God has not despised him. I wonder if they realise, those who are baying for Jesus' blood, too late now. <laughs> it's too late for Jesus' enemies now. Too late for Satan to pull back. They, in the moment of they thought their victory, even then Jesus, from the moment of death, is declaring something, something about victory. Verse 33 in the Amplified Version of the Bible says, They shall come and they shall declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born, that he has done it, in brackets, it is finished, which is how John finishes his gospel of Jesus' death. It is finished. He has done it. It is finished. Jesus has fulfilled his mission. He is our Messiah, our Christ, our Redeemer, our Saviour. Death was the ultimate defeat facing each one of us until Jesus. Until Jesus, there really was no hope. No matter how smart you were, no matter how wealthy you were, no matter how good you were, you couldn't avoid death. You couldn't cheat it until Jesus. Rather than another ultimate defeat, just another nuisance rabbi crucified, put him to death, the leaders will scatter, or the followers will scatter. 
It's happened all the time before. This time, Jesus' death, his death, was a cataclysmic, earth-shattering, eternity-shaking, destiny-changing victory. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. (laughs) That we can actually, effectively Jesus swap places with you and I. He was made sin, oxymoronic to say pure sin, so that we might become pure righteousness before God. Unbelievable. How can that be possible? I can't can't go through half a day without getting something wrong. Has anybody ever tried to live a perfect day? (laughs) If you have, let me know how you did it. Come up after coffee when you give me your marks. Jesus, by his death, tore open the way into the Holy of Holies into the very presence of Almighty God and showed himself to be the great high priest to the world and in his resurrection confirmed his rightful place as king of all creation. Victory over sin and then victory over death. The resurrection. He burst out of the grave. It's, it's one thing to sort of bring Lazarus out after a few days in the grave. They plotted to kill him because that freaked everybody out. They thought everybody was going to believe in Jesus once he got Lazarus out of the grave. We'll kill him. But he didn't stay dead. And then, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Everlasting victory over sin and death for you and I. Philippians 2. Draw our thoughts to a close. And uh, just reading from verse 8, it's, it's set in the text as a poem, it, perhaps quoting something from church history even by this stage. But at verse 8 it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Reminiscent of Psalm 22 again, isn't it? What that Verse 10, That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The psalm, Psalm 22, that begins with the words of Jesus, of the words of death on Jesus' lips, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, also finishes with the declaration of victory, it is finished. And both those were on the lips of our Lord as he died. Forever, um, forever, Amen.
forsaken yet exalted. Is it any wonder that the most beloved poem in the world, Psalm 23, follows Psalm 22? Would you like to stand? And, and allow me to read Psalm 23 as, as we bow in an attitude of prayer. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh Lord, how powerful is your living word to us today on this, the most significant day that we can remember. We see your plan from the very beginning for the redemption of your people. Those of us, Lord, that all of humanity, we were stamped with your seal. We were uh, created in the image of you. You made us in your image. We are not like the rest of creation. We are from you. We reflect you. There is a heart after God within each one of us. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of knowing you. We thank you for your so great salvation. You offer to everyone, will we receive, for God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world that whosoever believed in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to free the world through him. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the victory of the cross. We thank you for the open tomb, the empty place. There are no bones. You live eternal. And we thank you, Lord, that you sent your Holy Spirit amongst us so that you live through each one of your people right around the world today, celebrating this awesome, cataclysmic, history-changing, destiny forever with you. Thank you, Lord. And, and hear our hearts this morning as we stand, as we walk towards you, as you draw us and as we kneel before you and declare that Christ is Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.